We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, along with Andy Lister and Don Fox. They are from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. You can also check out their website, all one word, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can also ask a question there via their listener inquiry button. And you can also go back and check the, uh, check out old archived, old archived shows at andyanddon.com. Com. That's andyanddon.com. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good morning, morning Scott. Scott. All right. So uh, I guess you guys are still gearing up, getting ready for the big uh, RSP season. And I understand you even brought cake in today. We're celebrating <laughs> oh, big, a birthday. Big bir- early retirement is <laughs> generally looked at 60 these Who's days. turning 60? Make you, a wish. Don, is it Andy or Don? <laughs> Before you blow the candles out. <laughs> I'm not turning 60. Who's 60? 60 is RSPs. Oh. Oh. RSPs have just turned 60 this year. Hmm. They started in 1957, and that makes them 60 years old now. Wow. And they started out, interestingly, I'm going to a little history about RSPs, because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've had them for so long, it seems that everybody just knows they're there. And it's interesting, they started as what was called a registered retirement annuity. Mm-hmm. And basically, not too different than now, they were there to encourage working adults and self-employed to save for retirement. Now, at the time, you got to think, 1957, life expectancy wasn't as high as it is now, yeah. 60 years ago. Yeah. And a lot of people had pensions, mm-hmm. um, defined benefit plans, pensions. So there was that, but they did have the foresight to say, well, there's some people that fall through the cracks and maybe this will get them to to save some money. Yeah, how did they even come up with them? Was it be- when everybody did have pensions? Why, I guess some... Some fell through the cracks yeah. and, and they were also the best kept secret. Yeah. They really were because they were only offered by insurance companies. Really? Yeah, banks didn't, weren't involved at all. In fact, it wasn't until the 60s and 1970s until banks really got involved. Mm-hmm. And still not a big deal because, you know what, like I said, most didn't even know they existed and how they worked, it was 10% of your income up to $2,500. That was the maximum. Hmm. So, you know, back then, let's say you made, uh, you'd have to make 25000 and yeah. you could put 10% into this registered retirement annuity. Now, the reason they put annuity is because they were sold by insurance companies. Yeah. And a lot of things were called, instead of RSPs, all the insurance companies back then called them RRAs for short right. form because... When you did finally need the money, it almost triggered them that you would put the money into an annuity. Right. Which, interesting enough, that was the only option. Mm-hmm. You could only move them into annuities or cash them in. Right. Now, if you cashed them in and you had, say, $100,000, it would all be taxable. And at the same thing, at age 71, you would have to be forced to move it into an annuity. Mm-hmm. So the other interesting part was there was no carry for it. So if you didn't use it, you lost it. Oh, really? So that was, that was kind of the norm for quite some time. Now, going a little bit down the street here, 1974, spousal RSP started. So you can imagine it was back then, there was a lot of single working families. Yeah. Okay, where generally speaking, not being sexist here, but the husbands worked and the wives stayed at home. That mm-hmm. was kind of your beaver cleaver days, right? Yeah, yeah. And not only would they have, you know, their money, they would also have all the RSPs and you couldn't split. Yeah. So they finally, in 1974, now you got to remember, this is almost 20 years later, they came up with a spousal RSP mm-hmm. so they could split the income between the, both spouses at retirement. Yeah. It wasn't until 1978 that RIFs started to come into play. Now, a registered retirement income fund 
I would say 99% of people move their RSPs to a RIF. Mm -hmm. But back then, you didn't have that choice. It had to go into an annuity. And interestingly enough, you know, they have a minimum um, that you have to pull out of a RIF. Mm -hmm. And what it was was 90 less your age. Mm -hmm. So if you're 65, 90 less your age is, is 25 years. So the, the minimum was 4%, okay, that you had to pull out. Well, that also is the maximum. Mm. So if you had $100,000 sitting in this RSP, the most you could take out that year was $4,000. Right. And really what you'd end up doing is you'd end up moving to a, an annuity because an annuity would pay far greater than 4000 a year. You couldn't live off a RIF. Right. So they finally loosened up the RIF rules. I would say, because I, I started in 1985, and I remember having to sell an annuity because my client would not be able to uh, afford a RIF. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't live off a RIF. Yeah. You could only live off an annuity. So, so sure enough, we proposed an annuity, and that's all he could get. Well, they did loosen up so that you, there was the maximum was eliminated. Mm -hmm. You can take out as much as you want, as, mm -hmm. as it is today. Now, in 1987... A long ways away from 1957, so 30 years later, 3.5 million people. Basically, 20% of all the taxpayers claimed an RSP. Mm -hmm. So it went from basically nobody. No. And I had one client that had a registered retirement annuity. And she told me it came from a post office. Really? And this going back way back, that's where you could get them. But maybe uh, she was confused. Maybe it came from a... Or maybe it did come from a post office, but it also came from life insurance companies. Right. But right. it was called a registered retirement annuity, not an RSP back then. Mm -hmm. So anyway, finally, they changed the rules um, to in the mid-80s where the people with pensions could put 3500 in, less what they contributed to their pension. Now, this was interesting. This was So prior to that, if you had a pension, you couldn't? You can still do the 2500 Right. Yeah, you can just put it in. Right. They didn't even look at that. Right. So then they said, well, this is really fair. The people with pensions, not only can they have a pension, yeah. but they can also contribute to right. an, R, right. an RSP. <clears throat> so then they said, well, people without pensions, they can go 5500 a year. Right. It was 20% of your income. But the tricky part then was that you had to look at your T4 slip of the current year. So that would be right now, you would be looking at your 2016 T4 slip, right. which doesn't have to come out till the end of February. Right. Well, your hope you then keep your last pay because you didn't get a T four slip because what it is it was fifty five thirty five hundred less what they contributed to your right. pension plan. Right. It wasn't a pension adjustment that was a little different, but actual contributions to the pension plan was coming off that. But you had to wait till February to get that. So there was this mad rush, which is part of the reason there was such a mad rush at the banks and yeah. in, in investment companies. Because people will get their T4 slip at the end of February and have to make their RSP contribution at the end of February. Mm -hmm. Now, as you know, it's a lot easier. People know as soon as they get their notice of assessment from the government, yeah, they, they know what year. they're, because they're basing it on now the previous year. Mm -hmm. So 2016's contribution is based on 2015, yeah. not 16. So that was a big improvement and allowed people to plan things a lot easier, particularly for people that wanted to add monthly. Because mm -hmm. it's hard to add monthly when you never knew how much was going to go to your pension yeah, fund yeah. or your income. Mm -hmm. Well, it still wasn't fair. It really wasn't fair because the pension people still end up able to put a lot more money in RSPs. Mm -hmm. And the non, you know, the self-employed or people with no pensions could put 5,500, not a massive difference. 
1990, uh, sorry, 1990, they finally enacted the carry forward rule, meaning if you could carry it forward forever. Yeah. And that's why we're seeing now six-digit RSP yeah. rooms. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just saw one uh, three days ago, and it was $125,000 of RSP room. Mm-hmm. Very common because of this. And this started in 1990. Yeah. So it's now been 27 years of carry forward. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you know, perhaps in the early years you couldn't afford it, now you're kind of chipping away at it. But at least you could do it. Mm-hmm. Versus a pension where they would put money in your pension regardless. Yeah. So at least now with the carry forward, it was a way to get back. So they've really, over the years, tweaked this to make it more and more fair. So 1996, the pension adjustment. The pension adjustment was introduced and that also made it easier. And what a pension adjustment was, or is rather, is how much the employer puts into your pension fund Mm -hmm. and how much do you put in your pension fund. Right. That was the big key. So that's almost, that's 21 years ago now. And that there was the biggest equalizer between people that have pensions and people that don't. They finally came out with this pension adjustment button or or, uh, number, in which case now we are trying to equalize things as fair as possible. Mm -hmm. It really has worked out well since then. And they added the carry forward. Well, the carry forward originally in 1990 was only seven years. Mm -hmm. They, um, by 1996, they actually made it infinity. There's no, that goes forever. Mm-hmm. So even the ones that had the seven-year um, carry forward, they didn't have seven years anymore. They could carry it forever. Right. So another great change. So now here we are in around uh, 2009, 23% of all tax filers contribute to an RSP. That still seems kind of low. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, there's a lot of people that are young that maybe don't have any money, like, and maybe shouldn't put money in RSPs. And also all the retired people mm-hmm. that can't contribute to an RSP. Right. They're part of the tax filers. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> but it is 6 million people a year that are contributing to RSPs now. Mm-hmm. Well, the other part of why it might seem lower now, in 2009, tax-free savings accounts came out. Uh, more options. Right. Yeah. And, and that became competition. Mm-hmm. And Andy and I have talked about this many times, how TFSAs are a fantastic complement to an RSP. Mm-hmm. And now it really gives you tax bracket planning. So if you... You know, dealing with a, a financial planner, that planner should, without question, be looking at what tax bracket you're in now and where do you think you'll be at retirement mm-hmm. and determine whether you should go TFSAs or RSPs. But until 2009, that option wasn't even there. Yeah. So they've really evolved. They've uh, obviously evolved into first-time home buyers, mm-hmm. which has been a key area lately. Especially nowadays. Yeah, you know? no kidding. Yeah. Uh, use those funds. And that allowed some great ways to put money in short-term vehicles mm-hmm. knowing that it would be taken out. Yeah. And at least you're getting the tax refund and maybe that pays for some of your furniture, mm-hmm. right? It also added um, tuition. So the lifelong learning. So people that are, you know, left their job mm-hmm. and they need to go back to school but they have no funds. They can take money from the RSPs to help retrain them. I didn't know you could do that. Yep. Oh, yep. Lifelong. wow. And similar to the home buyers that had to yeah. be repaid in right. 10 but, years. But uh, retraining. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Which is fantastic. And you go to what's happening right now in the States. They're yeah. often using the example, oh, yeah, look at you know these assembly line workers. Yeah. They're unemployed. Well, they should be looking for retraining. Yeah. And that's what Canada's been really good at yeah. is they, they've, they've given this option to use their RSP money for it's retraining. It's a great idea. Fantastic idea. Yeah. It keeps people relevant, yeah. keeps people in touch with what they need now, mm-hmm. which is a big problem, actually. That was in the paper just last week. Mm-hmm. 
And RSPs still are one of the few deductions mm-hmm. on your tax return. Most things are credits. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you you know you end up with a chiropractor bill. Well, that's a, a medical credit. Mm-hmm. A charity receipt is a credit. Yeah. All these spousal deduction? No, no, it's a spousal credit. Mm-hmm. This is an actual deduction that comes off whatever tax bracket you're in. Mm-hmm. So if you're making over, say, 100000 a year, you're in a 43% tax bracket between, say, 90 to 140. You put in 10000 into an RSP, it saves you $4,300 in tax. Yeah. So a pure deduction, and they are very relevant. In fact, they're more relevant now than they ever were. Hmm. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button, or you can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Talking about charitable donations. Yeah. Well, here's the quick question. Question: Is it too late to contribute and make a charitable donation for last year's tax purposes? I would say yes. You are right. Good. Correct. Oh, I, was say yes good. Too. I thought it was a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out and see if you were asleep or not. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was just going to be no, and you know, I was just help setting you up to the next segment here. So a client of the mine- The year's over, right? So how That's could, right. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm just thinking in terms of RSPs, right? Because yes, you right. can still contribute and get a deduction for I last guess, year. Yeah. Now, um, uh, so I, I, just a little bit of background. This was a, a client of mine who had, we'd entered into some tax planning discussions, et cetera. And the idea of a charitable donation came up or a significant charitable donation somewhere in the neighborhood, let's for about $50,000 mm. was how, what, um, she was planning to, to contribute. And so we started exploring a little bit about, and just some of the background in terms of what her situation is and, and what sort of options we began to look at. But basically, so this is a, a 70-year-old um, divorced woman. So she, she divorced about 10 years ago. And um, she has about 90000 a year in income. And that's a, a portion of that is pension income mm-hmm. from her work, some Canada pension plan, old age security, dividend income, and some alimony. So all of that totaling $90,000. And in terms of her assets, she has a million dollars in non-registered investments, and she has $225,000 in RRSPs and $75,000 in her tax-free savings account. Mm -hmm. So in terms of some of the things- Yeah, in pretty good shape. And that's exactly how she described it. She said, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. Oh, by the way, we had worked on a strategy and just in December, she made her last mortgage payment. Mm. So she's she's mortgage-free now and she has an extra 1,500 a month, so 18,000 a year. And after tax. After tax. So we were deciding, she was saying, what what can, what am I do? I mean, obviously I could spend it, I can travel, I can do other things. But, um, you know, this extra income really means I probably don't need as much capital as I've got. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about doing something in terms of creating a legacy and a donation. And so we had to start a discussion about using $50,000 to create, um, we'll just call it Smith. So the, the, the Linda Smith uh, Charitable Foundation. And the way that is structured is that 
you're, as an individual, you can make a donation, an investors group, and many companies do, investors group operates a foundation uh, or a strategic charitable foundation division. Mm -hmm. And basically what they allow you to do is set up a sub-account of the big fund. And so she would have her uh, uh, separate sort of sub-account called the Linda Smith Foundation. Mm -hmm. And in that, she would deposit $50,000. And that $50,000 was going to be invested. Mm-hmm. And it, we were typically going to use something like our investor's dividend fund. It produces regular income. And so she'll receive a charitable receipt for 50000 when mm-hmm. she makes the contribution. <clears throat> right. And then each year, she will be able to make a distribution from that $50,000 foundation, anywhere from sort of 4 to 7%, depending on mm-hmm. her choice. And that money can be directed to any charity of her choice. Mm-hmm. So each, so for example, at 4%, it's roughly about $2,000. Mm-hmm. So for 20, for next year, say for 2018, she'd have $2,000. She might decide, I want 1000 to go to the Cancer Society, $1,000 to go to Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So that, and this process would carry on every single year. And in fact, to the Forever? extent, for, that's right. So to the extent that she doesn't touch the capital, the original, mm-hmm. let's say the original 50,000 grew by 6% and she's only drawing out four, then the base is going to continue to grow. So mm-hmm. she'll actually be able to give a larger amount every year, right. potentially. So that was great. She loves that idea. And then what really, what really excited her about it was that in her will, And in the foundation document, she was going to name her grandchildren as the legacy uh, director. So basically, they would take over at her death, deciding which organization would receive the charitable fund, the charitable amounts every year. So it it really, for her, it meant sending a message to her grandchildren that giving back was important Mm. to grandma. And, uh, and that each year when they make that donation on her behalf, it's just a little memory of yeah. this was what grandma did and mm-hmm. this is what grandma set up. Mm-hmm. So this is something that could exist or carry on. We don't know. It might be for 25 years. It might be for 50 years. On and on it goes. Who, after, assume she passes and the grandkids take over this, what if they say, oh, I've had enough or whatever? Who, who makes the decision how long it continues? So they, it would continue for, they can continue to make those grant declarations every year for their, for the grandchildren's lives. Right. And, and then pass it on? They could pass it on. Right. And in the case where there isn't somebody to pass mm. it on or somebody doesn't want to do it anymore, then the overall, the overall fund, right. the, the foundation itself will take over the administration and make uh, general bequests right. on behalf of the foundation. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be controlling where it goes at that right. point, but it would be at the discretion of the foundation would take over. So well, who's the foundation though, if it's her money, would that be the umbrella? Yeah, so the, it's, the, the so uh, it's investors IG group. Umbrella? That's okay. right. It's okay. a, under the investors group umbrella. Right. We have a, a division that looks after all of these right. sub accounts and the total fund, the, right. the, the, the grand account. And so if somebody has passed away and didn't um, pass on that power to right. uh, a relative, <clears throat> then they would take over the distribution every year on their behalf. And it just continues forever. It continues forever until that money runs out. And depending on how aggressive you are in terms of what comes out every year, yeah. the fund could actually continue to grow. So this is a fa- fascinating legacy to me because what we're doing is we're creating 
potentially permanent funding for yeah. a lot of charities in terms of that regular cash flow and knowing that money is coming to them every year. After the person passes yeah. and, and say you take it over or the umbrella company takes it over, who yes. then decides how long it goes? Because as you mentioned, you could either, yes. you, so, could, you could wipe it out by giving it too big a donation. You could keep it going forever. How would you I decide think the, that? The goal of the foundation is to enhance the quality of Canadian life So overall. just keep it going. Yeah. So their mission would be to allow it to continue to go on for as long as possible. Forever, yeah. potentially. Yeah. 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 So, probably one of the biggest weaknesses for any charity is the day to day operations. Yeah. They always seem to raise money for those big things. Yeah. Like every single big thing needs more care, yeah. upkeep, maintenance. Yeah. And then they're looking money for every year. Yeah. They, they, need, gr- they need the ground troops and the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what's so great about these foundations. They give that annual income so they know what it's, it's coming. Yeah. They know that they have this money coming. They can't spend it all at once because mm-hmm. if they were given $100,000 as one check, they would like left. to spend it on something. Yeah. 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 So yeah. This is a, almost a way to force budget. It's like an yeah. annuity for them in the yeah, sense exactly. that the money comes every year. Hmm. Yeah. So that part was really motivational in terms of the whole process and how to, but then how to do it or where would we take the money from to fund this, this foundation? Mm-hmm. So the choices were, do we take it from her non-registered account, the million dollars? Do we take 50000 from her RRSP? Or do we take 50000 from the tax-free savings account? Now, Scott, you're, you, we've been educating you all the way I along. I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> if, you, if you had the choice between one of those three, the million-dollar non-registered, the 225000 RSP, or the TFSA, which one would you well, take? Well, obviously from? the one that would save you the most tax. Okay. Uh, that would be, I'm guessing, not the RSP. Yeah, that would, I'm going it through process of yeah, elimination. Okay, so let's eliminate so, the RSP. Okay, so that's that RSP the non-registered plan and the TFSA plan. I would say non-registered because TFSA would would provide more benefit. No, right, right. I think, there you go. That, All and right. so look at you go, Scott. And I really, that office. that is the process of elimination yeah. we sort of went through. Is we thought about that, and it and it definitely pointed initially to let's look at the non-registered plan. Yeah. So we dug a little deeper, and some of the issues around that decision become, there's a number of them. So number one was she's 70 years old. So at this point, she has never had to take any money out of her RSPs. Next year will be the first year where everything's converted. All the RSPs are converted and she now has to take a RIF payment. And pay tax. And pay tax. The RIF payment next year is going to be $13,000. So now she's going to go from 90,000 to 103. Mm-hmm. And on that additional 13000 of income, guess what happens? Mm. Has to pay tax, yeah. plus there's another whammo, and that's old age security clawbacks. Clawbacks, yeah. So she loses another 15% of that, roughly about another $1,900 of her old age security every year as a result of the, her RIF payment mm. going forward. So OAS clawbacks were an also another factor. And so the thought was, what if I took 50000 out of my RRSP, which would reduce the amount I have in there, then my RIF payment's going to be lower mm-hmm. every year going forward. Therefore, I'll have less clawback, yeah. less tax, and eventually less estate tax because I've gotten 50000 My, my 225 in RSPs is now 175 mm-hmm. Now, from a tax perspective then, so all 50000 comes into her income this year as taxable income. So her income goes from ninety to one hundred and forty. Right. But she has a $50,000 tax credit right. for her charitable donation. Mm. So her tax bill actually would go up by about $2,000 this year. And that's almost, all of that is almost as a result of increased clawback of her old age security. Mm. 
So the RSP contribution strategy was almost a wash in terms of actual tax, but it was, uh, but she ended up losing more old age security. Her old age security went from about, uh, her current clawback is about uh, $2,000 and it's going to go to $7,000 this mm. year with that extra withdrawal from the RSP. Right. So that's a one-time hit. Yeah. So we thought about that. Okay, can we, because then it would go back to normal next year. And in fact, under this scenario, she would retain more of her old age security going forward every single year. So we had to look forward, how much is that going to impact her going forward? Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then we also knew that that means less estate tax if she were to die. Okay. And, uh, now on the other uh, part of the equation, if we took it from non-registered, so we took it from her investments Mm -hmm. and two things happen. Number one is when she makes the $50,000 donation in kind, meaning just a transfer of shares or mutual fund units to the strategic foundation, then she doesn't have to pay tax on the capital gains. The capital gains are absorbed. And, and, and so now she gets a full $50,000 tax credit on her 90,000 of income. Mm. And in fact, it turns out that she doesn't need all the 50,000 to zero out her income, uh, her income tax owing. So she only needs about half of it this year to minimize her tax to zero. And then she can apply the other 25,000, carry it forward to next year, 2018, Mm -hmm. and also minimize her taxes in 2018. So basically spreading that donation over two years to maximize her tax savings. So that had the benefit of reducing the amount of dividend income she was receiving and dividend income with the uh, artificial gross-up calculation, which is just a sort of a a Revenue Canada method of equalizing tax on dividends versus interest salary. And so she would actually save a bit of old age security clawback as a result of having less dividend income. Now, but the non-registered money was growing at about seven and a half percent because it was more aggressive in nature and the RSPs were more conservative. And so they were only growing at about 5%. So we actually had to look then, well, how much is your net worth going to be and your estate down the the road? That's planning. When you, when you think, yes. And so I guess I'm, the reason I'm going through all these steps is that so when a, when a client makes a call to us and says, I want to make a $50,000 donation, we don't just say, oh, well, yeah. sure, here's, let's, we'll send you the paperwork. Yeah. There is mm-hmm. a complete analysis, you know, and it, it, it's easily, I mean, in this case, it's been at least four hours of work to analyze what are we going to do? What is the most logical process for this individual? And we want to look at it from a lot of different angles. And, and the ability to, in our programs and software, to be able to analyze what is her future estate going to be? How much tax will her estate pay? What is her future net worth going to be in terms of the estate? And on a, how much is actually paid out? What's her, what's her tax position going to be each year going forward? And how much tax will she pay? And then what's the value of her investment? So all of that becomes part of the, the decision tree mm. as you kind of filter it down to the bottom. And so... When you actually crunched a few of the numbers, I was surprised at that there wasn't that much of a difference between the two strategies. And in fact, looking at uh, at age 95, we took her right out to age 95 and we're going out 25 years, her estate was estimated to be $5,006,000, $5,006,000 by using the RRSP as the donation. And it was five million and sixty thousand 
by using the non-registered, a difference of $54,000 over 25 years. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of room for error in terms of what could happen between now and then, obviously. And then when I backed it off to 10 more years and just said, what does it look like in 15 years time? The difference was only $4,000 on the advantage of the non-registered option side. So in all cases, the non-registered side was certainly stacking up to be the better option. Uh, but RSP money is a tricky money, right? In terms of getting it out, if there's opportunities to get it out and not pay tax, there's some advantages to that because if she dies right away, then the tax would obviously be higher if it was all still an RRSP. So it really, again, comes down to how long does somebody live? Mm -hmm. And we we sort of want to run the what ifs on that. But, um, but when it comes to tax planning and charitable giving, it's not always cut and dry that it should just come from the non-registered investments, even though that capital gain is tax-free, et cetera. And it seems like the obvious choice. In this case, um, you know, we're, we're leaning towards the RRSP as the strategy for this contribution. Then uh, this is just another great example how, you know, a lot of the time when people think of what you guys do in financial planning, it's all about the investments. It's all about what you're putting away. And really, that's only half the formula. I mean, this is total tax planning, really, exactly. isn't it? I mean, it's all yeah. tax planning, which is a whole different side of the equation. Yeah, you're really talking, I mean, on the, you're talking about tax planning, you're talking about estate planning, and you're also talking about the investment planning are all wrapped together yeah. into this one simple question. You know, where <laughs> should my 50000 come from? Should yeah. it come from my RSP, my TFSA, or my non-registered account, and which is best for me? And you're not going to get that kind of advice if you don't have a strong financial planner. I, As, I, or going to a bank or an institution or... That doesn't know the whole story. Yeah, you kind of know. Sometimes if you, you, you get an answer and it's a short and quick answer, you yeah. wonder, well, yeah. maybe is there more to it? Is it that simple? Mm. You know, and you know, I, I'd rather err on the side of let's analyze this from all angles, yeah. so that when I come back with a with a recommendation, I can be confident that it was it was the right recommendation at the right time for this individual, and. You know, if somebody or the competition wants to challenge it on us, I'm ready to stand on my own two feet in terms of why it was done and why we did it that way. We are planning, we are our, planning financial our financial future. future. I'm Scott Andy Thompson and Don Andy Lister Fox, and Don are Fox are here from, are here from Investors Group 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 Financial Services, Services Inc. Right Inc. You can check out their website, Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com, or call them now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will get back to you. Talking about top income earners and lifestyle creep. It yeah. sounds costly. <laughs> sounds creepy. Sounds creepy. <laughs> it's creepily costly. Well, not as creepy as some of this news. It's actually interesting. <laughs> just to get off that, just for a second, I'll get to that in a second, is that I guess just last week, uh, this Dominic Barton went through, and he's he basically was hired by Morneau M- M- for the Liberals mm-hmm. to look at ways to help the economy. Right. And one of the th- ad- things they advised was to increase the age of retirement. Yes, they're talking about. Haven't this again. we been here before? Yeah, yes. exactly. And now, now, well, they just finished taking. Funny how that it changes off. when you're uh, running the country. Exactly. My campaign <laughs> promises we're going to keep it at 65, even though every developed country in the world moved it to 67. Yeah. And now they're saying, yeah, we should really move it back up. And want to talk about electoral reform? Oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Found that quite interesting this past week, and I thought, wow, because we talked about that on the show I when remember. it happened. I remember. So going back to life. Because we were right on the line, right? Exactly. We got, we got exactly. uh, screwed there because we were going to tw- uh, exactly. 67, yes. Uh, my birthday was in 63, yeah. January. That was the first year it yeah. was fully impacting me. Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> it's just not fair. So 
Andy, I think you have. I got like months. three months worth Good for or something. You. <laughs> right, yeah. Fifty-six so, and nine months. Well, look at you go. <laughs> I can ch- cash in. That's it. Well, top income <clears throat> earners, they have a an interesting dilemma. Now, you know, if you're top income earner and you're part of a defined pension plan, no problem. You'll have a pretty good mm-hmm. idea. You'll have a good income. But what's happening is there isn't too many of these people that have much of a pension plan. Yeah. So they've got to put the savings themselves away. And I don't want to make you feel sorry for any top income earners. However, the in, 19, in 2011... The top one percent started at one hundred ninety-one thousand hmm. dollars. So, if you made over one hundred ninety-one, what year? Uh, Two thousand eleven. Right. So, six years <clears> ago. <throat> so, mm-hmm. pretty recent. Mm-hmm. The average of those people in the top one percent made three hundred eighty-one thousand. Hmm. Okay. So, you look at these people and you think, okay, well, that's a good income. They probably have loads of money put away. Well, sometimes no, oh, sometimes yes. Hmm. Because what happens is. Well, now I got a bigger house. Yeah. Well, that includes more property taxes. What includes a bigger hydro bill to go with my hot tub? So, earning a bigger paycheck doesn't mean you're necessarily a better financial planner. (laughs) Not (laughs) at all. Well, the more you make, the more you spend. Mm -hmm. And the problem with some of this is that you join, say, a club, Mm -hmm. and now there's social pressure. Yeah. And then maybe I got to go to, uh, you know, a boat boating club, Mm -hmm. and then there's other parties, and there's more social costs. And we're all vacationing together Mm -hmm. when we're not going to stay in that hotel that we would have been okay five years ago when I was making sixty grand a year. Now we got this. And everything creeps up. Yeah. So without a financial planner to sit there sometimes and steal money away from your monthly income, mm-hmm. it what we're finding is a lot of people are playing catch up at the end because they're putting away, say, 5000 or even 10000 a year, not even close to enough. Mm-hmm. In the last five years, they're putting tons of money away. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you made 100000 a year. That's not even that high anymore. That's, mm-hmm. like, that's not top 1%. That means you're making $6,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Well, when you retire, you're going to get old age security and Canada pension plan, and that's $1,650. So now you're short $4,400 a month. Now, let's say you're not married. I'm going to keep this very, very simple. No income splitting, no no nothing. One single individual. Mm -hmm. How are you going to get $4,400 a month? Mm -hmm. Well, you would need, because let's say you, life, life expectancy, let's say you're 90. And you're and you retired at sixty five. If you made four and a half percent on your investment, you would need eight hundred and twenty one thousand dollars in your RSPs. Mm-hmm. Now, if you got three and a half percent on your investments, you would need nine hundred and four thousand. So, almost hundred thousand dollar difference for that one percent to make sure your money doesn't run out. Um, if you make two percent, and that's basically the GIC rate right now, you would need a million and fifty five thousand dollars sitting in GIC in, in an RSP to give you that income. And if you earn 0%, just to say you put your money in the mattress, just to give an example, you need $1.3 million mm-hmm. set aside. So realistically, if you have a balanced portfolio, you would need 821000 Sounds easy, but really isn't because what you needed was compound growth for many years yeah. to, to get up to 821000 If you're waiting to the last minute to throw in a bunch of money at the end, you'll never get to 821000 Yeah. Yeah, even if you were trying to save half of your paycheck, you know, for the last five years, yeah. you're still only looking at, yeah, it's only like a hundred grand. Yeah, yeah, not even yeah. close. So this is where you're seeing this: these topper income earners are are struggling because they won't they, they don't want to necessarily sell their house mm-hmm. because now the kids have had grandkids and they want mm-hmm. to come back and use the pool you have yeah. because they don't have a pool. And so this is that lifestyle creep. And what happens is just and it's totally understandable. They get busy. 
So what do they spend money on? Things that save them time. Like, I don't want to open my pool myself. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to cut the lawn myself. Um, we need a cleaning lady. Um, they end up spending more money on meals out. Yeah. I'm too busy. I work till seven. Yeah. I got to go grab something to eat. Let's go to some other restaurant tonight. Sure. There's more holidays. I'm all stressed out. I'm working like crazy. I'm making this big income. Let's, let's take this cruise or whatever. Well, my kids, they're going to go to you know, a private school or not a private school. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there's also that conversation. And if they do go, then it's, well, it's interesting because if you take the cost of private school is one thing, but then all the social trips yeah. that they have to go to, mm-hmm. while my friend Susie's going to that, I have to go yeah. too. Yeah. So it, it's, it really literally is lifestyle creep. It's just one little thing after another. And once that ends up happening, just because you have the big income, mm-hmm. you're not saving a lot of money. And this is why it's so important to have Andy and I sit down, go through this, which is an annual basis to make sure you're on track so you don't have to have that big cut in lifestyle when you do retire. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And you can also check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Don.com. You can ask a question there uh, via their listener inquiry button. Also check out old shows or you can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Talking about turning your savings into income this segment. Yes, as, as mm-hmm. Andy just mentioned, we, you know, uh, you're looking at a donation. What's the best strategy mm-hmm. to make that donation on the, in, in that charitable foundation? The same thing we need to look at for what's the best strategy to get an income. Mm-hmm. And we're getting a lot of people say downsizing. I, I had a recent client that moved from Oakville to Brantford. Mm-hmm. And obviously the that's cost- a, That'd be a win-win. That was yeah. a very yeah. big win. Yeah. You know, no traffic. Yeah. Um, and he's just <clears throat> retired. Mm-hmm. And now they've got these funds that mm-hmm. they freed up because of actually the same size house, if not even bigger, for half the money. Wow. Okay. Yes. So worked out great. But now how do you get the income? Well, they're looking at OAS. They've deferred on their on their old age security because he worked till sixty seven. Mm-hmm. That's one thing we looked at because you got a, uh, this increase of five percent per year. Right. So he's getting this extra ten percent there. We also deferred on Canada Pension Plan, so they got an extra fourteen uh, percent on mm-hmm. Canada Pension Plan mm-hmm. because it was just going to be taxed at the highest rate. Right. But the one thing <clears throat> is we're trying to avoid old age security clawback. And most planners, I find, are all talking dividends. Mm-hmm. And your non-registered funds, let's take that money you took from the house and move it into something that earns a dividend. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds great. And you always talk about, oh, you don't pay as much tax on dividends. But there's that gross up. So anytime your income is over $73,756, in so-called 74000 you start losing 15% of your old age security. Mm-hmm. And it totally runs out by the time you hit 119000 Well, with the gross up, if you put your money in something that earns a dividend, say a mutual fund that earns dividends, or say, make it simple, Bell Canada stock. Mm-hmm. Well, it's grossed up by 38%, meaning you're not really receiving it. So if you get $1,000 in dividends, 
it turns out that it shows on your income of $1,380. Hmm. You didn't get the $380. Yeah. You get this credit later that offsets most of that. But in the meantime, it shows up on your net income that affects your old age security. Mm-hmm. So dividends are great if you're keeping your income under that 74,000 threshold. So including right. this gross up, if your total taxable income is under 74, fine, go crazy on dividends. That should be part of you know one of the legs of your retirement income stool. Mm-hmm. But uh, if, you, if your income is bumping over that 74,000, then the dividends can become really problematic. Yeah. Yep. And quite often you might be better off to have those dividend income inside your RSPs, your tax-free savings account. Right where you're not paying tax on it, and try to earn capital gains. Mm -hmm. Or something that we have called T-series, where you're actually pulling out the principal, and you pay no tax on, Mm -hmm. and you're deferring all gains until about, it takes about 16 years. Mm -hmm. And this allows you 16 years, if you're right on the bubble, 16 years of old age security Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have got had you just stuck it in a normal fund, or Mm -hmm. you would have missed out on a bunch of it. So these are the, this was the conversation I had with this client on, on creating income. Now, the other kind of dividend is called an ineligible dividend. And we're finding a lot of these, say, dentists, doctors, um, business owners that had corporations, and they built a lot of money into these corporations. And now you got to pull the money out to get an income. Mm-hmm. Great source of income. You don't, the, um, the gross up isn't nearly as much. The gross up is only uh, 17%. Versus 38%. So you you don't, there's, it all works out in the wash that you're paying the same amount of tax when you run it through a corporation. And so this is how the non-eligible, so you got to re- look at your, your t- sources of income, how mm-hmm. much would be non-eligible dividends and how much would be eligible dividends. Very big difference in terms of calculating your net income for, for your old age security clawback. Mm-hmm. So again, one layer of your income should be, should we have dividends? Or should we not? Yeah. And I think that this is this is part of the key thing. So you have the only things you can control are that are this non-registered money. So if you have, you know, your RSP money, anything comes out of there, every dollar is included in income. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the dividends that you get from your personal corporation, they increase them by 17%. But if you have a million dollars to invest, if you could have it grow at 6%, let's say, but not earn or create any income. So just like a house might increase in value, right? It's a capital Mm -hmm. gain. You're not paying any tax on that gain until you cash it in. So you can structure an income from that million dollar portfolio, as Don said, where you're receiving a return of capital. We call Mm -hmm. it ROC, return of capital. So you're getting part of your original million back. You're not touching any of the growth. You're Mm -hmm. leaving that for the future. So that's, there's no taxable income when you're taking back your original principal, your original capital. It's your own money. It's your own money. And so now you're getting full benefit of your old age security, but this is the only area where you can control the type of income you're receiving and how it's going to be taxed. Yeah. So really important to look at the net income. And one other area that I'm finding is it seems to be a a very overlooked is the RSP withdrawals at 65, trying to get the pension credit. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these self-employed people have been told from day one, you don't need the money leave it in the RSP till 71. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Start at least getting 4,000 a year if you have a spouse right. of pension income at 65 so you get a, a pension credit, which depending on your income may offset <clears throat> and you pay no tax on it. In the very worst case, you're only paying 20% tax, 23% tax on it. And it's at least get some of that money out of the RSPs. I know it's not a lot. It's only 4,000 a year, but it's better than paying 53% tax later yeah. and not having that 
pension credit that everybody deserves. And I think in the in the final in the final wash, you know, you can each have seventy four thousand dollars of income if you're if you're Absolutely. a couple, a married couple. Mm-hmm. So that's you know one hundred and one hundred and forty eight thousand dollars of income. That's a pretty decent retirement lifestyle. Yeah, I can tell you from sure. experience of clients I know making no that income clawback. with no clawback exactly. Mm. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can check out their website and even ask a question there via the listener inquiry button at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there, too. Or you can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see Thanks, you next Scott. week. Thanks, Scott. Take care.